0: I suggest this to all students to not make the PhD research your whole life because it's, it shouldn't take up all of your time and also the, the results of your research day to day shouldn't shouldn't be your day, right? Your day is split between doing your work as a researcher and then you have your life outside of that. Whatever that means to you. It doesn't have to be that you work on science policy or nonprofit work. It could mean that you work on a hobby, that you exercise, spend time with family. But that time is important as well. And that time is a way for you to feel like you're a person outside of your PhD. And I think when you introduce yourself, it's really easy, especially in academic settings, to say, I am a PhD student. And it starts to become an identity that is not only one of your identities, but the only identity. And I think that's where you fall into the trap of like, oh, if I'm, if that's my only identity and my research is not going well, that means I'm not doing well as a person. I'm not doing well in life. My life is not going well. So that's the kind of thing where I, I really want people to separate that and know that the PhD is not the person.
1: Welcome to this new episode of Papa PhD. Today, I have the pleasure of having with me Dr. Kimberly Duong. Kimberly completed her PhD in civil and environmental engineering at UC Irvine uh, and successfully transitioned to industry. She wants to share lessons learned and help others succeed in their own PhD journey. Kimberly employs a tailored one-on-one approach, drawing on more than 10 years of project management, leadership, STEM outreach, and mentorship expertise in academia, government, nonprofits, and entrepreneurship. Her diverse background has led her to a variety of experiences, from wetlands fieldwork in Melbourne, Australia, to science policy at the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine in Washington, D.C. In addition to coaching, Kimberly also enjoys cooking and fitness. Welcome to Papa PhD, Kimberly. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Um,
1: So, Kimberly... uh, Thinking back on your on your profile and on your you know your journey through school, then then uh, higher education, research, mm-hmm. etc. What would be another one or two things you would add to what I share to what, what I just shared, so that people can get to know a little bit more about who Kimberly Wong is?
0: Um, one thing that really helped me and still helps me today is that. During the PhD, I realized that there was more to what I originally thought there was. First, I thought it was about finding answers Mm -hmm. and and research questions and figuring out, discovering things, right? Making these big research discoveries. And what I learned over the course of my time there is that it's actually less about the answers that you get and more about asking the right questions. Because you can get answers to A lot of questions but if it's not a useful thing to learn or a useful thing to understand then it doesn't really help you it doesn't serve you so my uh, recent philosophy has been a more bigger emphasis on what the right question is and even figuring that out is sort of an iterative process but uh, when i was a young student even in first second third grade uh, one thing that teachers and my friends would notice about me is that I ask a million questions mm-hmm. and it's sort of like I'm I'm asking such a, a bare bones question, such fundamental questions that I think they were questioning whether I, I kind of understood mm-hmm. and um absorbed the information. And I wasn't sure myself. So I had a friend of mine <laughs> who said that um can't really ask a million questions, but then the next day she takes a test and gets an A, and she was confused by that. I was confused by that too, because I felt like I didn't understand anything. But through the process of answering questions that felt dumb, simple, um, I kind of got to the fundamentals and the core of what we were learning. And I still sort of take that philosophy with me today, just mm-hmm. questioning things and trying to understand what is it about uh, this concept that is really. Useful, really translatable, and so that's that's why I love coaching. Is my job is to answer or to ask questions and to take those answers and use them to ask even more questions that are, Mm -hmm. you know, taking you to towards the path of reaching goals.
1: No, it's uh, it's super interesting, and and it's true that as you you know here we're talking about uh, you know the PhD and your career journey, and when we're talking about these large spans of time. The same question may have a different answer at different points right. of that journey. So I think yes, yeah. that the, the, having the the good and the right questions to ask yourself and to maybe re ask yourself uh, at a certain uh, uh, you know at certain mm-hmm. interval is super super important because answers mm-hmm. can change. You know the the setting. Yeah, yeah I uh, I agree. And it's interesting that um, that experience you had uh, when you were very young. And uh, and I, I really like that that your your friend didn't under you know was like she has so many questions and for her the 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 reflection was oh oh she doesn't understand and and right. it was for me I think you you were just populating your understanding more and more with each question that you were asking and you were kind of appropriating yourself the subject matter or whatever by seeing more you know you know that um, metaphor of. Of the, I think it's uh, the blind men and the elephant. Uh, a bunch of blind men need to to see. You know, you know, need to uh, are asked to say what is this, and it's an elephant. And one of them is near to the the tail and says, "Oh, it's a rope." And then the other one is near the <laughs> trunk, and each one says something something else. But it's because, and e- if you think of these blind men as questions, each question kind of gives you the full picture. Uh, I really, really okay. like uh, that you start with that. You started that. Super, super interesting. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't tell the story very well, but I think I, I think I gave the gym. yeah, <laughs> very cool. So now one of the things that, uh, that, uh, I remember struggling with, uh, and, and now wishing that I had had like, mentorship or coaching with when I was in my PhD, uh, is kind of, kind of the key subject of our conversation today, which is mm-hmm. goal setting. It's, uh. Some people I feel have are naturally inclined to, you know, their brain works like that. And then there's, I think there's a spectrum, there's a gamut of where people fall, uh, uh, in, in, in respect to that capacity of, of goal setting and of planning way ahead of time, etc., etc. Um, I wonder, you know, what, what's been, what has your experience been during, uh, first during your journey, uh, as, as, a, as a researcher but uh in the challenges that people bring you uh, the people you coach that have to do with goal setting
0: right yeah and the phd is is unlike a lot of other schooling in that there's no there's no end in sight that is strict
2: right mm-hmm.
0: when we're in first grade second grade the it's a year long. That's that's the understanding. That's the agreed, you know, silent expectation. That you only take a year. Um, and the same with the high school or secondary school. And even for undergraduate, you know, it's it's roughly four years, maybe four to five. Mm-hmm. And for the PhD, I mean, I've heard ranges from four years to 10 years. Yep. And <laughs> that spectrum is not really clear, right? It's, it's not clear even when you're in the same department, the same university, the same advisor. And so I think that makes it hard for people to plan their lives around this thing that consumes their lives for many years, but that they don't really know how to plan for the end of, and maybe even not even knowing how to plan for the short or medium term, because we just don't know what the frontier of our research is going to be at any given point. So this is um, an issue that I dealt with when I was a student, and at every point I, I had to ask myself the same questions: Is you know what what am I trying to do with the PhD? What is the point of me uh, doing per- this particular activity? How mm-hmm. is this helping me to accomplish my short, medium, and long term goals? So that answer is always evolving, like you mentioned earlier, and I think that's something that is. You know, you might have the answer today and that answer changes tomorrow, but continuing to ask that question is going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. So when I was a student, I kind of started off thinking, well, I'm here to learn um, how to do research, how to teach so that I can be a professor. And somewhere along the way, um, I discovered other career paths that were really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And in the process of doing research as a student I realized that academia was no longer uh, my first priority mm-hmm. I sometimes think I might go back to teaching sometime I'm a professor in the future in some circumstances but learning things that you didn't know you know in your first year can give you answers that you wouldn't have had in the
2: first year. Mm-hmm. so
0: when I when I realized that I didn't want to stay in academia, but all of my training so far was focused on academia, that told me that I need to figure out first the right questions to ask to get me from where I am to where I want to go. And also, um, who can I talk to that might have some answers for me or to help point me in the right direction. And just a lot of trial and error and Mm self-discovery. Throughout my PhD, I was doing um, a lot of different things that I didn't, I hadn't done before, like science policy work, like I um, talking with media outlets, and so that was a new experience for me I didn't particularly have a goal when it came to what I wanted to get out of it. I just knew that I wanted to learn about it so that I could figure out if this is something that I wanted to continue doing mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and so uh, it's uh it's interesting that that you that you mentioned science policy because uh it's uh it reminds me of, of an episode, a, a very uh, one of the very first uh, episodes or interviews that I did with Ad- Adriana Banks. And I find it interesting that you included it because um, I think one of the things that is often um, that people are not aware of, and you kind of mentioned that when I started first year, in the future, I was projecting me as a professor. And then you talk with people, you you uh you know, you get involved in different uh initiatives and then you learn there's other things that scientists do, that researchers uh do. And science policy is one of them that's very interesting and it's it's, it's very different from being at the bench, but uh can be very, very fulfilling. And maybe before before we go on with the, the, the main subject of the conversation, uh I, I'd like maybe to ask you, if if possible, to share how how did these things come about during your phd because there can often be a pressure to not do anything but your 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 research from uh, from your supervisor of course or from you know from peers uh, you know there's there's many different ways this can happen but because i always uh, or i often recommend doing other things that are not exactly your research but that are connected as an important way to build up your career readiness later on and and diversify your not only your network but what you do and what you're what you're good at uh how, how did that happen how did that transpire that you got involved in these projects that were not really like uh, being at the bench
0: yeah yeah so I have always had a difficulty picking one thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I was in a lot of clubs. I was taking a lot of different kinds of classes even before I started my PhD. And so I, I wanted to keep my options open. Um, and also outside of my regular research, I mean, students can probably understand this, that you kind of get tired of doing the same oh, yeah. topic all the time. And so when you come home at night or on the weekend, I mean, you know, necessarily want to do more even more of that so i wanted to do something that was totally different than what i was doing in my research um, and so i wanted to join different clubs and so i found out like for example a science policy mm-hmm. i didn't really start working in science policy until maybe four years into my phd okay. and i met someone at an event a fellow grad student who was starting a science policy club And so um, I joined the newsletter. I hadn't even uh, attended a meeting yet. And he sent out this this email saying, hey, you know, there's this fellowship, the National Academy Fellowship. Mm. And uh, the deadline's coming up soon in a few weeks. And I thought, wow, this is great. This is really cool because you get to go to Washington, D.C. You get to work there for a few months. And I thought it would be a really cool experience to go there. So I spent all my spare time <laughs> researching this. And um, that was sort of like outside of my research. Like that was my life is researching this organization, researching what a good candidate would be. I think I probably, I found the list of alumni on their website okay. and I emailed every single person who had email address listed. <laughs> so I probably reached out to 30 people, oh, 30 wow. alumni um, and had like 20 calls over the next few weeks, just to try to understand, like, what does a successful candidate look like? What is it about them that I can try to piece together a pattern and see, like, what the the organization is looking for mm-hmm. in a fellow? And so those are the kind of things that over the course of those um, interviews with them, I learned sort of what they were looking for, for looking for someone who was not necessarily a brilliant researcher, uh, but someone who is keen to learn, who is there to open-minded about science policy ideas which are different than you know as a researcher
2: mm-hmm. and
0: um i found the experience really great i think it might be because i don't get a lot of uh, face-to-face time in my research i mm-hmm. was dealing a lot with computer models so it was mostly me and the computer yeah. so <laughs> it's a great outlet for me to be able to talk to people of course and that was something that i was sort of like missing from my research
1: mm-hmm. So this makes total sense, and uh, and uh, uh, I think it, a question, a follow up question that I that I have involvement in this, uh, you know, getting involved in this and getting uh, you know uh, interested in, in spending time on this. What was the effect on uh, your productivity in your PhD?
0: I basically had to be really strategic about what I spent my time on, mm-hmm. and so compartmentalizing my schedule, um, figuring out what I want to get done by a certain, not even by a certain day, but by a certain time of the day. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, oh, I, I need to get this done by the end of the week, I would kind of, you know, talk with myself and kind of coach myself and say, okay, this, actually, this needs to be done by 9am on Thursday so that i can get to this other thing okay and so kind of staggering that work and making sure that i'm meeting the incremental deadlines that i set for myself was important in being able to manage all of this together Mm -hmm. and i i'm getting better at now but i i was definitely working at night as well okay um which i think a lot of students can understand so weekends and nights i was also um doing work but i was I was trying really hard at one point to keep my work to about 8 a.m. to 5 Mm p.m. And that meant that I had to be um, really disciplined about how I'm spending each of those hours.
1: Mm, I see. And, uh, and like, let's say in terms of uh, uh, like mentally, like, because you mentioned how you can, people someone can get tired of just doing their research. Was Mm -hmm. this, even though it was taking more of your time of your hours, was this then allowing you to come back to your computer and to your models, like refreshed in a way? And and uh,
0: yeah,
1: yeah, because th- that's what yeah, that's sure. something that I've talked about in you know that that getting involved in something else where you have some passion and that kind of brings mm-hmm. you completely outside of what you do uh, right. for your research can kind of recharge your batteries for when you come back to your bench or to your computer. So it looks yeah, like it was I your still. experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I suggest this to all students to not make the PhD research your whole life because it's it shouldn't take up all of your time, and also the the results of your research day to day shouldn't shouldn't be your day, right? Mm-hmm. Your day is split between doing your work as a researcher, and then you have your life outside of that. Whatever that means to you. It doesn't have to be that you work on science policy or nonprofit work. It could mean that you work on a hobby, that you exercise, spend time with family. But that time is important as well. Mm -hmm. And that time is a way for you to feel like you're a person outside of your PhD. And I think when you introduce yourself, it's really easy, especially in academic settings, to say, I am a PhD student. And it starts to become an identity that is not only one of your identities but the only identity Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you fall into the trap of like oh if i'm if that's my only identity and my research is not going well that means i'm not doing well as a person i'm not doing well my my life is not going well so that's the kind of thing where i i really want people to separate that and know that the phd is not the person
1: I, I love that. I, I, you know, I, I'm not even going to expand on it. I just want people to <laughs> let your words resonate because this really, you know, this really uh, hits home for me. And, um, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's really, uh, unfortunate that, uh, that a lot of people are going through that and a failed experiment or, uh, you know, a less than satisfactory end of your PhD can feel like I failed at life and it shouldn't definitely not. Um, but it makes me kind of come back to our um, our, our subject. If um, uh, we think about having this kind of tunnel vision of just thinking about your PhD, and maybe even uh, you know uh, putting your health on on a you know on a, sec- on a second tier, and your family or relationships can get really really bad. But thinking about goal setting it also means that you probably won't be making goals for yourself outside of that framework outside of that uh, idea of doing your your thesis work and uh, and i think i don't know i wonder if this is something that you talk about with your the people you coach uh the the fact that P, the phd is just one part of the puzzle and that especially long-term setting needs to be a bit have a wider view and a more encompassing view is this, is this something that that uh, aligns with what you uh, what you propose
0: yeah yeah definitely and the the students that i work with are obviously they're so deep into their research they're so deep into doing this every single day that they don't have the big picture view there you go um <laughs> and that's that's something that i help with is i'm trying to ask them i'm trying to pull them out of that day to day Because they are really focused on the problems that they need to solve right now, this week or this month, because they have a publication coming up, they have a conference, they have um, qualifying exams, whatever that is, and that can consume them, right? That, that That can sort of entice them into spending all of their energy, and so they don't have really the capacity to think, what else? What else do I want out of my life right now? Yeah. And so I try to pull them out of that and say, what is your three-month goal? That's pretty easy to know because they're currently working on it. Yeah. How about your six, 12-month goal? What's your three-year goal? What's your five-year goal? And by the time I get to the five-year, they say something like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want my PhD. And as much as that is a, you know, understandable goal to have, in five years especially if you're on the front end or Mm -hmm. you know especially if you're on the the later end actually is you you would hope that you'd finish within five years but that's not all there is to it you know you don't finish the phd and then your life just stops there (laughs) you you need to go on to something else the phd is training for the rest of your career and so the fact that people don't think beyond that is is where that's where i come in and that's Mm -hmm. where i help them understand If you want some kind of outcome, especially one that doesn't involve academia, if you want to transition out of academia, but you don't know what that looks like yet, now is the time to start asking questions, to start thinking about what do I want to do? What do I think I might be interested in? And now is the time to start exploring. Even if it means talking to someone in that industry for 30 minutes and then you don't do anything else on that topic for two months. Mm-hmm. That's still a start. Mm-hmm. That's still activating, you know, these questions that you might have in your in your mind is, is this what I want to do next? Mm-hmm. If not, what do I what questions do I need to answer in order to determine what the next step is? And so that's sort of my role as opposed to facilitate that thinking is, you know, I let them handle the day to day. They understand their research more than right. I ever could. So I'm there to ask them, what else is there? What are we missing in this conversation that we're not talking about yet, but we should be? Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm. And
0: so that kind of gets them to think about, well, I've never been asked this question because their circles are academic, right? The the questions asked in those conversations are more along the lines of, well, did you try this method? Did you look up this research paper? And let's try this different technique. Mm -hmm. Those are questions relevant to the research, and I'm asking questions relevant to what is outside of the research that they still have interest in, that they care about, and especially if they are interested in transitioning out of academia, that they need to figure out by the time they graduate.
1: Papa PhD is supported by Noted Source. A platform connecting academic researchers to companies for project-based opportunities across disciplines from sciences to arts and humanities. Top corporate innovation teams work with academia but the smartest ones use noted source to discover and collaborate with experts like you. Easily sign up today at papaphd.com forward slash Using Google Scholar and ORCID imports, it only takes a few minutes to create a professional profile that lets clients know you're open to collaboration. NotedSource handles the bureaucracy so you can focus on what you know best. That's papaphd.com forward slash NotedSource. You said something that I that really kind of I want to repeat, which is, you said the phd is training for the rest of your career it, 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 it's it's if um, i don't know if we think about a a game i don't know a video game or or whatever a role playing game you know it's a side quest it's something that you need to complete but then yeah. there's a bigger quest out there I, and and i really That's why I I I was happy to you know when we connected and to have you on the show because I think it's important to say exactly this like minute that you two minutes that you that you were talking of um, yes you need to take care of the day to day of your PhD but there's something bigger there's something bigger and one day that the PhD finishes the side quest is done you have your your treasure your loot which is your (laughs) diploma eventually. Yeah. And then you, you that allows you to level up for something else. Might be in academia. We know how the proportions or the, the the probabilities are on that side. But most of people end up needing to to go and to foray into other other fields. Could be government. Could be the private. They could become entrepreneurs. But mm-hmm. I one thing you just said, and I I really want to repeat it is. You need to start now thinking about it now that you're in the middle of your PhD because if not, if you are if you wait until the end, there's going to be a huge delay until you have talked with people. You mentioned talking with people and I do think it's a key aspect. People who are doing different things, people who maybe f- come from your program and uh, are now entrepreneurs, are now in, in companies, are now doing different things, maybe change careers completely and do something that inspires you talk talk with them starting today i i do i totally totally agree and i'm super thankful that that you just mentioned that because it's <laughs> one of my it's one of my uh key messages that i try to drive like any time i can and you just said it all in two minutes
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's great thank you
1: now so so there's this problem of tunnel vision that i think uh, it's it's normal because uh, you know there's this time constraint that you're doing something novel that needs to be original you you're pro- maybe thinking of becoming a professor so there's some competitivity there uh, some competition aspects there so it's it's easy to have this uh, this tunnel this tunnel vision effect in in PhD researchers uh, and and I think it's it's very it's ubiquitous but now, what's your take on how not uh, setting goals for yourself, medium and long-term short also, but medium and long-term how can it hinder you? How can it uh, uh, affect you negatively as you go towards the end of your PhD? What can be, what are outcomes that you really don't want to have that not setting goals can lead to?
0: Yeah. um, This is, this is definitely something that happens and I've, I've seen it a lot. Um, I'll give you an example. There's a postdoc and uh, postdocs are maybe even more unpredictable than the PhD because they're shorter, right? Mm-hmm. They're from one to three years and the outcome of that postdoc doesn't really, doesn't really give you insight into the next step. When you're doing your PhD, it, it's a little bit, easier to make the connection between, I'm doing this research, and then I want to pursue the same research in, in my professorship or in you know my, my future research. Mm-hmm. But as a postdoc, uh, sometimes what happens is you're working on something that's sort of tangential to what you worked on in your PhD, and you spend one to three years working on it, and maybe you transfer to a different postdoc for one to three years, mm-hmm. and then you're working on something else uh, for that time. And then maybe transition to another one. I mean, it's common for people to have multiple postdocs. So I spoke with this postdoc who had gotten to a point where they had to figure out what the next step was. They're coming to the end of their postdoc. They just recently obtained the next postdoc and hated their life. Mm. And it was was, the way they phrased it was, I achieved success and I don't want it anymore. Mm. I think this is a common feeling among PhD students because at at the in order to get to the stage for PhD student, you have to be a pretty good student up to that point, right? Yeah. An A student, an overachiever, uh, maybe a valedictorian, someone who has enjoyed school enough to continue on for so long is a professional student. That is what you know how to do. Yeah. So by the time you get to the postdoc. you're you're sort of questioning your identity at this point. It's like, I'm no longer a student, but that's the only thing I've ever been. And so when you get to the second, the third postdoc, it it, it just all crumbles down. Hmm. It's unclear what the next step is. And that is scary because when you're a student, the next step is always clear. It's the next stage (laughs) of your schooling. (laughs) And so people have these breakdowns because they realize that they've gotten to, you know, the highest level of academic ladder and they get to the top and there's nothing else to jump onto Hmm. because it's just another ladder. And so at that point, you're maybe in your thirties or forties and questioning what your career even is. And if they decide at that point that they don't want to pursue a tenure track position or an academic position, it's it's really hard to think at that point, I'm going to start over
2: Hmm.
0: in something new after spending all this time becoming an expert in this one field. And that's, I think, the biggest drawback of not thinking ahead, not planning for a future that you want to aim towards Hmm. is just staying on this treadmill that you're familiar with that you're comfortable with that you know that you're good at and i think that's what they're alluding to is that success is uh, achieving you know um gaining the postdoc being a good enough researcher to continue getting grants and publishing papers that's success in an academic sense Mm -hmm. but it's not success for them because they didn't do it because they wanted to they did it because they were good at it and so they thought because I'm good at it, then I should keep doing it.
1: Mm. Yeah. But then fulfillment is not there and the, the, you get to an kind of an existential questioning. And, uh, and I, ma- yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine, so, so kind of in a nutshell, uh, we're, we're talking at that point of mental health of, of, uh, you, you're hurting because you're not fulfilling your, your goals and your, um, you know and maybe not following your core values but just following a formula that you know how to work there's something that eventually is missing and that leads you to this situation of what am i doing here yeah now i imagine that even um even before the postdoc uh, this this question of uh doubts about the future or doubts about did i you know did i make the right choices did i uh, you know, invest these years of my life for something worthy. If what the moment you ask yourself this question is very hard emotionally, and uh, and and can mm-hmm. lead to to very difficult moments. Um, now, so if we're looking at here at the at the the you know worst case scenario of you just you know go through the ropes and you, you know rinse repeat rinse repeat, and then you you at a certain age and you get to this realization. But how can we then prevent that? I wonder whether you have. Maybe even a, a small exercise or, or small you know something that you can share with people of how to start opening your horizons a little bit in terms of how you how you plan and how you 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 set goals for yourself to prevent this situation. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I have this um, exercise with with prompts. Um, mm. I call it future visioning, and this is something that I share with clients who are not clear on what they want beyond six months from now Mm -hmm. because that that deliverable is is easier when you have research milestones but beyond that um if they have no idea whatsoever then we really want to focus on this future visioning what do you want out of your life um a year three five ten years from now Mm -hmm. and so some of the questions that come up on that i can share that with you afterwards if you want to post that to your website but questions like what is an ideal day for you three years from now? Mm-hmm. You could give a date, January twenty-seventh, um twenty twenty-seven, <laughs> or three or four years from now, five years from now. When you wake up, what is it like? What does your day look like? And I think that's sort of a strange question for a lot of people to think about because they think the longer away it is, the more The more vague. It's like, what do I want in my 60s? Instead (laughs) of, what do I want on March 9th in the year that I turn 63? Like, that's not normally how people think of it. The the more granular, the more short term because it's closer to us. It feels more realistic. But when you look outward and really far away, suddenly those time durations stretch. (laughs) And so I want to bring that together. I want people to think about when I'm you know five years older, what do I want in a single day of my life? Mm -hmm. And I think that brings people out of this every day of their current lives and into, well, in order for me to get to that day, I have to think about what is between now and then. And so that's one of the questions I give that is sort of it's sort of like a tricky question because it's it's nested. Like in order Mm -hmm. to get to that point, you have to have to think about all the other days that come before that. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that I like to ask. Another question I like to ask is, um, if, building on that question, if you get sick, who is stepping in to take over responsibility? Mm-hmm. And I specifically ask that because a lot of students um, get into a routine of doing everything themselves yeah. when it comes to their research. And that might bleed into other parts of their lives, where they feel like I need to get this perfect. I need to have control. I need to do every aspect. I need to monitor every aspect. And so they don't have an exercise of delegation. And when they take sick days, I've seen this a lot of times. They take sick days and feel guilty because the work is not getting done, and that them being sick is harming them on on the long term. It's like. This is something that I, sh- I shouldn't be sick mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's it setting me back a day in, in my work. And I think that attitude is maybe serving their research in the short term, but it's not serving them in long term because mm-hmm. it leads to burnout, leads to an unhealthy relationship with them taking rest. I had to learn this myself, is that rest is not equivalent to being lazy. <laughs> it is equivalent to recharging yourself so that you can do your work sustainably
2: Hmm. for
0: as long as you wish. And so that is something that I'm trying to get people to understand is if you have to take a day off, a week off, in what circumstances does that situation feel okay? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Not comfortable, but what can you do so that you can rest, but not feel terrible about it, and you know you're not leaving others, uh, you know, to, to clean up your mess or wh- whatever that is in the lab or outside of it. So those kind of questions prompt people to think about things that maybe are not asked, you know, by their advisor or by their research group. And I think that's the kind of line of thinking that I try to bring uh, to the people that I help.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah this question of rest is uh and I remember you know it would have been when I was in my phd it would have been difficult and I you know you were mentioning feeling guilty for being sick or something like that and some labs some places have that culture and it it is unfortunate yeah. uh but um I'm happy that people like you are, are <laughs> is telling people like you are out there and and that that this message of no, recharging is necessary. It's not an option. And um because one of the things that that I I know can be difficult is when things are not working during your PhD. And then, you know, you start saying, Okay, I'm gonna put more hours and I'm gonna do right. and I'm gonna quit my hub, my sports the the that yeah. I do. And and it feels in a way that okay, you know, I'm I'm dedicating more time, so I'm gonna solve the issue. And I think mm-hmm. you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're you need more recharging because you're stressed, you're maybe panicked or you're you know anxious about something, and you need to rebuild your energy stores. And you're kind of burning yourself out more. And yeah. well, anyway, it, it, it's a it's difficult to change a, a culture, but hey, as long as there's there are people out there like you, like me, putting the message out, mm-hmm. I think it's already it's already you know, it's very good, and and it, and it it makes me really happy that you share these these things here because one of the the issues definitely is culture, a culture that comes from a long time ago, and that in certain places gets quite intense, and mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, it's it's sad to see uh, young uh, burgeoning researchers burn out and maybe quit their PhD altogether, which happens for these reasons. So, talking about these this goal setting and it's projecting yourself into 4 years which even for me it's it's, it's not an easy exercise it's
0: hard yeah this. it's really hard <laughs>
1: <laughs> um depending on um where you are you can be much younger doing your phd uh, like, like in the uk for example you're quite young and it's 3 years and then you're done mm-hmm. um you know or in other places where it's longer you might or you might be or not be with a partner you might have or not have uh, family plans uh, but one thing that's there after your PhD is the the, the a, a certain universe of jobs that you'll have access to. But that while you're in your PhD, and this we were mentioning before, often you don't know about them because you're really focused, you're laser focused on what you're doing. Um, and you already mentioned talking with people who are in these in these different domains where where you can go but is there is there any other technique uh or or strategy or tactic that that you share with people to uh, incrementally little by little and you know start looking at and start dabbling with the possibility of okay yes become a, becoming a professor but also look at other things because i i have had this feeling of being in front of a group of students and s- with other speakers and talking about you know, in in my case, was you know non academic careers, and then seeing the the students who were like first year PhD students, like mm-hmm. the eyes glaze over, and then not engage with with our with our conversation because it was, well, I just started my PhD. Why are you talking to me about non research mm-hmm. or non academic jobs? Is is this something you you you've seen with younger uh, graduate researchers and? And have you found ways to change their their outlook in uh, ab- about this and their maybe a resistance to hearing about about something that is not uh, academic?
0: Well, there's a self-selecting element to the people that I work with mm-hmm. because they already have an interest of leaving. Okay. Academia. So there's already some interest. There's enough interest there that they are entered. They they want to learn more about. Mm-hmm. What is outside of academia? And when I work with earlier stage students, PhD students, you're right, they are very focused on the next step in their PhD because there's a lot to get done. And I think at that point, it's more about asking them okay, once you finish that part, you know, once you finish your preliminary exams, your courses, your first year of research, what's next? Mm-hmm. And then they start to think uh okay well i mean assuming that i am successful and i get through all of that um i guess i want to and then that's sort of like the line of introduction to start thinking about. okay so that's your second and third year and you know let's assume that you're doing great in your research you're publishing and sort of just asking them the questions and then taking their answer and and adding to it mm-hmm. and saying okay Okay, let's let's assume that you're you're doing well and, and we'll work on all this just to reassure them that you know I'm not skipping any of this stuff. <laughs> but on top of you know these things that you want to get done, what's next after that? And I think that's a question that they don't really get asked because a lot of times when you're an early stage PhD student, professors assume that you're just gonna become professor, like mm-hmm. they did. And they yeah. don't really ask you what do you want after the PhD, they just assume that they know what that is and
1: well, well and in my experience actually it's <laughs> frowned upon to even yeah even just mention or, or Ment- hint at the fact that you might have other interests so it's a sensitive yeah. <laughs> conversation to have it
0: is it is a sensitive conversation which is why i think it's easier to talk about these things with the coach myself because i I don't really have any interest in you know. If you say you want to leave academia and then you end up becoming a professor, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. I want to help you with that as well. But um, it, it does get it tricky when you're talking with a professor or someone who's in your department. So that's that's the kind of um, introduction that I give to people who are sort of early on and they have really really specific things they want to get done first. They don't really have the capacity to ask themselves these questions beyond that. Um, and so I think giving them that sense of we're just going to be confident that you can accomplish your short-term goals Mm -hmm. now that that's taken care of let's think about what's next after that and so i think that might that might take them to a place of thinking about what's next but um it is pretty difficult when you're in your first year or you know in orientation i mostly work with students who are on the latter end in their um second to last year last year maybe last few months of their phd
1: mm-hmm. excellent uh kimberly like sadly we re- we've reached the end of, of the time to, to talk here can you please share for people who are uh listening what's the best way to reach out to you where can they find you online and uh engage with you
0: so the best way to reach me is on my website it's it's coach mm-hmm. and that is literally i t s.
1: <laughs> Coach Kimberly,
0: yeah. dot <laughs> com, And that is where you can reach me to contact me to set up a, a quick introduction call. And uh, if you're from an academic institution, uh, that's also where you can reach out to me to set up workshops, talks, series, things like that
1: uh excellent i will share all of those in the show notes of the episode i also the, the those prompts that you had uh, mentioned that exercise whenever you send it to me i will also link it uh in the show notes so uh, if you if anyone wants to de- dig a little deeper and and uh, get to know and even get in contact uh with kimberly you'll have all the links there um now to kind of sum up some of the some of the the points uh, starting by this this last one that was very interesting that I that I uh, I think are take homes at least for me uh, from this conversation um, I really uh, find it interesting this question because it's been kind of a, a conundrum to me, uh, but it's very <laughs> it makes a lot of sense what you just said of when talking with really early PhD uh, researchers first year, second year maybe not talk right away of the what's after uh, the quest of the PhD but uh, bring the conversation little by little by accompanying them in what's very urgent for them today. And this is, I, I, I hadn't thought about it, uh, about it that's, that way. And, uh, it really makes a lot of sense to me. And I think, uh, it's something I'll, I'll try to do when I engage with them. And, uh, and, uh, it's a really, really great point. Now, going back to, uh, goal setting, one of the, the things that I find really, really, uh, interesting that that and that you mentioned and that i find is key to uh ensuring a speedy progression to your post phd career is getting to talk with people who have done it before and who are doing things that inspire you and see how how they went about it uh if you know if you're actually interested in where they work ask what the culture is you know keeping etiquette, you know, being respectful of their time, but talk with people, pick their brain about different things uh, and show show your interest for their domain, show respect for their time, and you will gain from that. And each conversation, it's kind of a, a little building block of this career that you are building. Uh, I think it's really, really key, really, really important. And then, uh, you know, reaching out to people like Kimberly, uh, who who are actually just uh, out there their mission m- your mission kimberly is great is to help people learn this this new way of doing things cuz i think the big issue here is that you you once you get onto the the the, the phd uh, uh, like treadmill it's going at a certain pace and then you know you you hit the ground running and then sometimes you just emerge 5 years later and you're like oh okay i'm done with this part <laughs> And I didn't get ready for anything. And the the important thing yeah. is to little, little by little, especially if you're, you know, second to last year or or last year, start uh, adding small things to your routine that little by little build up this career readiness. Uh, and it, it will be important for you, whether you stay in academia or not, in my opinion. So this would be the the three reflections that I that I that I am uh, taking home. I don't know, Kimberly, what it, uh, if you agree uh, or, or if you have something to add as a last word? But uh, I, I really really appreciated this conversation.
0: Yeah, I love this conversation. It went by so fast. It and, did. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I I I agree that the informational interview has probably. If I had one piece of advice for PhD students who are trying to figure things out is do informational interviews with anyone that you remotely think you have an interest in, whether that's, you know, as a person in their role, in their industry, in even the city that they live in, the type of company that they work in, type of, you know, nonprofit, uh, government work, anything like that. I'm a huge fan of informational interviews. If you just Google for how to do an informational interview, you can start with that and um, it's it's really fun after you get the hang of it. It's, it's You're meeting someone new, but you're also getting all this information that's just distilled, like this, this knowledge from someone who is 5, 10, 20 years ahead of you, and they just distill it down into a few sentences. And I think that's the beauty of talking with people is they're sharing the important stuff, not the things that are most searched on Google or that things that they yeah. didn't even know to think about. So I I really encourage people to start with that if they feel lost or if they feel like they have interests outside of what they're currently doing. And um, it's also something I help my students with if they uh, sort of feel hesitant about that. We talk about all of those things and how to do a really um, respectful and a really uh, productive informational interview. So, yeah, I, I think that would be the last thing that I hope people get out of this conversation.
1: Excellent. So everyone, uh, again, it's, it's coach Kimberly.com. If you want to reach out to Kimberly, Kimberly, this was great. I, I really had a great time and I, I think you, you did bring things and, and ways to look at things that, uh, that I, I hadn't uh, looked at, at things before. And I always love that. Uh, and, and I, and, uh, also one of the things I really appreciate is, you know, we're quite far from each other, but I feel that we're in this community together of people who want to, help graduate students who want to help young researchers and uh it's always a, a pleasure for me to talk with with someone who has a, a mission that's so close to, to the one that uh, the podcast has likewise thank you so much for having been on papa phd thank you. papa phd is a labor of love if you like the show and have found value in it you can pay it forward by donating to help other people like you hear papa phd Even a $5 one-time donation will be really appreciated. So go to papaphd.com forward slash support to donate or to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon to become a patron. Your support will help me cover the cost of hosting, equipment, and other recurring expenses needed to bring you a high-quality show week after week. Thank you for your support. I am David Mendez. See you next week.